So welcome to another episode of the Dolby Institute and Soundworks Collection podcast. Uh, we are back here again at Skywalker Sound at the beautiful Skywalker Ranch. And I am really excited because we're getting a little, a little peek behind the scenes of Foley at Skywalker Sound with John Rush, who is new to the Skywalker family. Welcome to the Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. And we are here at an interesting time. The, 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 the new Foley stage for John is just finishing construction. So it's, this is really kind of a, an exciting time. And it must be a thrill to get to build. You said this is not the first time that you've built a stage from the ground up. This indeed is not the first time I built a stage from the ground up. But it is certainly the first time there has been a understanding of, okay, how can we do it and do it right? Right. Which is wonderful. Uh, I had with some other partners at a place in the 80s called Taj Soundworks, which there again, we were able to do it our way, but we were constrained by money. Not to say that, you know, we wanted to just throw money around hand over fist here, not at all. But they do understand what's necessary. In other words, if they want it to be done world-class, here's what we need. Yeah. And it's, there's been no roadblocks to that, which has uh, really been great. Well, Skywalker's gotten a, a long history of supporting the artists and, and, and building what was necessary to make a world-class facility. But I, I want to, you know, just to, I mean, for the two or three people who may not know you and your, your resume, <laughs> uh, you've been in this business for 30-plus years. Indeed, about 35 years. And I, I, I took the liberty of, of looking up some of your credits, uh, and this is just an amazing set of movies and I made a set, a set of directors and, and sound supervisors and designers that you have. <laughs> and to me, the, 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 the hallmark of somebody who's really good at their work is when you keep working with the same people over and over and over again. Um, and you first landed on my radar because of Ren Kleiss, who is, you know, <clears throat> a, a, another member of the Skywalker family and, and somebody that I got to know through the days at propaganda when I worked with David Fincher. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, you, you've worked on social network, uh, Panic Room, Green Mile, Braveheart, which was, uh, I'm sure, an, an amazing film for Foley. Who Framed Roger Rabbit, <laughs> uh, which is uh, just amazing. Back to the Future, E.T., and of course, you did 16 Candles and Breakfast Club. So uh, you, th th this is um, pretty much all the food groups, although you <laughs> forgot the most important one. Disco Godfather. Disco Godfather. <laughs> yeah. Was there a duck in that one? No, but uh, the moniker was Touch Him and You're Dust. <laughs> I hope you have a poster from that. I, actually, I do. And a, a video cassette, because that's all it's on. It's on VHS, nothing else. That's amazing. Yeah. And then I didn't even mention the Christopher Nolan films. So you've, you've done the Batmans and Interstellar and, and Inception and... Right. Fortunately, uh, we've been lucky enough. Richard King's been very uh, generous with his uh, time with uh, us, me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> that's, as each film has a unique challenge, but that, those in particular, in fact, Interstellar, uh, we actually went out to a boneyard where there was a fuselage, and we did a little gorilla foley in there, if you will, to, uh, to get the sound of a robot. So anyway, oh, that's amazing. Well, so we were we were talking before we <clears throat> rolled about you know who's listening to this podcast, and it's been a, it's been I mean I've been really gratified that uh, there's a lot of industry post production professionals who are listening, uh, especially um, internationally. But we also get a lot of uh, film students as well, and 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 younger people who are interested in in the art of sound for uh, for media. So for the, you know for those who may not be. Uh, up to speed quite yet. Uh, what exactly is a Foley artist and what do you do on the picture? Specifically, a Foley artist is one that puts in uh, sound effects that 
are not able to be recorded at the moment. In fact, you think they would be. Uh, quiet on the set, here we go, rolling. Well, it could be there's a huge robot walking in CGI. So in, the, uh, in essence, there's no sound there. Or it could be the hero is running into a castle, but he's running on wood because right. that's what they needed to do for the camera shots. Basically, we're responsible for any and all sounds that need to be replaced. So if we've done our job right, you don't know we've done it. Right. So that's the key to good Foley. And of course, the number one rule of Foley is there are no rules. <laughs> Just whatever you, your ears tell you is correct and you believe is what we want to do. So that can really run the gamut for, from seeing something on camera that, you know, picking up a glass, setting it down, that's pretty easy to, you know, what does it sound like to have a, a stake driven through a, a vampire's heart, you know, or, uh, or the feet of E.T. walking, you know, or, or the snow uh, in interstellar on the planet so yeah we, we get tasked with doing a lot of different things and that's really the the beauty of it for me and which makes it mo most fun so um and, and real quick to answer it, the question in a fairly short way we, we do sync sound effects okay it's called foley named after jack foley who came up with the system or the idea i should say but um Really, we do, we do, as I say, sync sound effects. We're watching the picture and performing at the, what we see at the moment, and then it's taken and edited in a way that it will fit in correctly with all the other elements, because we're, we're just a subset of the overall sound job. Right. So we're here on your new stage. So what, for, you know, just, we'll take, us, take us on a trip of the imagination and describe for us what, we're, what, what, what you and I are seeing here. Well, I think what we'll do is we'll step outside. I'll touch your head with a magic wand. We'll be outside. <laughs> and we'll look at this beautiful building, which looks like a barn. Yeah. And we'll slide open the two doors. And then we're going to hit the button, which the elephant door slides aside effortlessly and gracefully, revealing the big, new, huge stage. And underline huge, which makes me... Very happy. Yeah. Because we don't really have the issues of... This, uh, is, this is the biggest Foley stage I've ever been on, that's for sure. It is, I would say, as big as the one that was at Warner Hollywood, which was the biggest one I'd ever been on. Yeah. Now, there was one at, at one point at Glen Glen many years ago, there was an actual shooting stage. Mm. But um, how that really related to features or how it worked, I couldn't really tell you. And, of course, other countries, I don't really know, China and or Russia, they could have some huge stages. But uh, suffice it to say that in here, um, we have the best of both worlds. All this wonderful space, and yet if we clap our hands, it's not going to be echoing for five days. Mm -hmm. They've really done a magnificent job here to make sure that we have an environment that is really a warm, neutral environment. So our sounds are not colored in a way that it has to be dealt with. There's nothing harsh. There's nothing weird it's just uh we can create and that can be put in seamlessly with what's what needs to be put because in. the idea is that you you want to record these sounds as dry as possible for right? the most for the or most part are the varying i mean are, are you are you kind of treating stuff so that it because obviously if everything was completely dry then there'd be a tremendous amount of work on the mixing stage to get it to sit properly with you know whatever the environment that the scene is happening in yeah i think to answer the question about wet or dry if you will in other words uh no ambience versus ambience, let's, let's call it. I'm old school. I like to try to have everything organic. I'd rather not do anything electronically. So to that end, psychoacoustically, if we're, let's say, we're looking at the screen, there's a shot of somebody he's or she has gotten out of a, a private jet, and we're inside a large hangar, and they're walking from way in the background up to us, and literally the camera stops with their boots, their jack boots, let's say. Mm -hmm. That's how close the characters come. Psychoacoustically, then, too, we record it in that way. 
uh, Scotty the mixer, he'll help uh, feather it, so to speak, so it sounds a little further. I'll be off mic, and as the character's walking in on camera, as you see on the screen, I will do the same thing. I'll walk to the mic, and he will then um, do his thing, Scott, well, the mixer, to add some uh, ambience of the hanger. So all those things together, it will sound, quote, real. Now, we don't lock the mixers in 100%. We use what we call the 50% rule to 75% rule. So we want to make sure we give enough so they can add in what they need to smooth everything out with the dialogue. Okay. So we, right. wouldn't, we wouldn't go overboard. So that's interesting. I, so there, there's actually uh, some, some craftsmanship happening in the recording booth as well as on the mixing stage when you're doing it. Yes. Uh, Scott's mixing brain is just as important as mine. Yeah. yeah and, you know, because I'm a, a big believer in the team, you know, myself and my Foley partner and, and Scotty and, and, and um, making sure that, you know, we believe we see what we hear, if you will. And, and to that end, like if we do a playback on a reel, you know, it all has to fit together almost like um, a tracking for a, a song. Mm -hmm. You know, all the faders are unity gain. You know, we, if we're having to move faders, we're not doing our job right. Right. So on playback. So you got a variety of walking surfaces in here. Indeed. Um, we have smooth cement. We have semi-rough cement. We have rough cement. We have <laughs> dirt. And the dirt pit is huge. And no, Jimmy Hoffa's not in there. Uh, um, and then we can work off the dirt to other surfaces. In other words, we gave some thought as to transitioning, if you will, from this surface to south surface, what makes sense to have what where. Uh, you, you've been doing this long enough to know exactly what you, what you need. For sure. Uh -huh. For sure. Uh, and... There's a dedicated glass tank, which is nice because, uh, you know, you're asked to do glass from time to time. But if you have to do it on the cement surface, you know, you don't want to hurt yourself. So what does that mean you're asked to do glass? So is that, you mean like walking on glass? Uh, yeah, or? Uh, it could be a horror film, let's say, where somebody, you know, throws glass in front of the door to help stop or slow down the monster or something, you know. And we need to hear walking on glass. So right. in a sense, we'll do that in some way, shape, or form. It might not be actual our feet. It could be with you know big gloves or something. But we need to kind of get down and dirty if you with the glass. But having a tank dedicated to that uh, reduces the chance of things flying out, going someplace they shouldn't be. Somebody might get hurt. I mean, really, just it just from a logistical slash safety standpoint, it, it's a good thing, um, and it's covered. So we don't need them. Covers on. Right. Um, and then. From that, as I say, there are other surfaces. There's uh, asphalt, cobblestone, and uh, Mini Mount Rushmore, as I call it. <laughs> so, what is the Mini Mount, Ru Mount Rushmore? Uh, you know, just think a Cliffhanger, the film. You know, where uh, you're climbing up the side of a mountain. You know, and you need handholds, maybe put pitons in, and carabiners, etc. So, or maybe Everest, which is in the theaters oh, right that's now. That's right. Yeah, which I can't wait to see. Um, and then, if we were to look over to the right from there, we'll see the the water tank system. Uh, it's a series of three. One's uh, a graduated uh, from level going down four inches. So in other words, uh, we can create a little small splash area that we want. Uh, and then that goes, dumps into a, a, what's called a little bathtub tank. So we can either sit in there or work in there or whatever. Or it can actually be in that one and use our hands in the main tank, which is a big enough little swimming pool, if you will. Big. A little swimming pool. So, the, but the the that main tank, I mean, it looks like it's what it's it says four feet, four feet across, and 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 deep as well. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah, you get scuba gear out in that one, <laughs> or you can do Titanic too if you. Want <laughs> right. Right. You know, I always thought the lobsters must must have thought they won the lottery when the Titanic. Anyway. <laughs> oh, sorry. 
So it, did you have the opportunity to consult with the Skywalker team on the design and the layout of the, uh, of the stage as, as it was coming together? I, I did. And actually, uh, via Taj Sowerks, uh, Ed Bannon, who was the chief engineer there in Technical Brain, uh, he's a friend of mine, and he helped consult with me on this. Um, and, of course, uh, Steve Morris and Jim Austin, right. Jim being the lead man, uh, and then the incredible uh, construction company. Plath, I mean, amazing job they've done. So, I mean, as you see, just look around and see the quality of, of the work. It's just beautiful. And I know there was many other components too there. I'm sure they, I know they had a designer, et cetera. But to, all told, I'll be able to do what's required mm -hmm. from snow, water, wind, rain, just regular old footsteps, whatever it is, we can do it here. So this is a big stage. It's got a big screen sort of at the, at the midpoint, and then you're, you've got prop storage behind the screen Correct. and the surfaces in front. So you're, the, the way this goes, essentially you and your, your Foley partner, uh, you, you break it down with scene by scene, or how do you, how do you actually approach a, a, a new show coming yeah, in? And then, and then you, you perform in sync to the, to the movie that's playing on the screen. Correct. You perform these sound effects. Typically, we'll approach a day where, let's say it's day one on a film, and we will run the reel, and we'll look at it and make some notes, and we'll decide between the, my partner and myself, okay, who's going to do what feat? I typically do men, and my partner typically do women. But that's not to say there's not interchangeability. And we will do the feat first, because I like to have that as the bed, as does Scott, um, to kind of work off of. So once that bed is down, we know what the feet are and sound like, then we can start working on the props. So let me ask you that. So the, 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 the feet are the bed, but I, I want to sort of get it at why that's so. I mean, I, I, obviously, I've spent a little bit of time on set, and the most important thing that the director and the crew usually on set that they're working on, they're focused on trying to record the, the dialogue. Correct. Their, their, their main concern is getting the performance of the actors. So they're using very specific directional microphones because they don't want to get outside extraneous mm -hmm. stuff. So that makes a pretty empty track, and that's why... You know, steps is sort of a natural way to get into it because all that stuff isn't there. Right. Absolutely. That's the, that's one of the raison d'etre for our existence. You know, giving. In other words, if you were to play a scene without the footsteps and other items in there from Foley, it'd probably be fine. But yet your mind would go, hmm, something seems kind of weird about this. Whereas if you played it with those put in, right, you wouldn't even think about it. You'd be involved in the storyline, and of course, that's what we always want to do. We want to push the storyline forward to where you don't know we've done our job, as I said before. Um, so steps first steps first then props of which um, typically there's some some that kind of I gravitate to and some my partner gravitate to and we'll sit down and we'll literally go over the cue sheets and decide who's going to do what and we'll go out I'll do a, a run of things if you will let's say maybe I'm going to do a run of doors and then my partner will go do a run of paper and I'll go out and do a run of swords you know kind of tag team that way if you will uh, to get through the reel. And the other thing I was going to say, too, is typically we will work from mid foreground to mid-ground to background. Oh, okay. Interesting. There is and, a, and is that because you're prioritizing your time? Or? No, because that's the best way to place things in perspective. So when you play it back, it plays back naturally. There's one major exception, and that is uh, rain. Hmm. Whenever you do rain, you must do the rain background first. Interesting. Why? It's almost like a watercolor. You need to have the wash on first to be able to add the detail. Because rain is so 
uh, all-encompassing from a, uh, you know, EQ standpoint. It's on know. all the frequencies. It's on all the frequencies, and I found it out the hard way on a film called, uh, oh, let's see, goodness, now I'm having a senior moment. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll think of it in a second. Now, K. Rose, uh, The River, uh. the picture. And uh, that film, it's an interesting film to watch, actually, uh, because it starts out a kid's you know, got his line in, he reels in a little, it's a beautiful day, and the clouds are starting to come over. Next thing you know, we see a raindrop on a petal, and then another one, until we get to a flood. We actually foleyed all of that. Well, okay, so this is something I, I'm, I'm curious about, which is wh what's the delineation between sound effects and what's happening in editorial versus what you're covering on the foley stage? Because I would think rain, that's... That's sound. That's 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 editorial, but you but you're actually recording that stuff in many instances on the foley stage. Well, fortunately, this is an easy answer to to give. We really do what it is that's asked to be done by the supervising sound editor, okay. designer slash foley editor. Uh, no more, no less. That being said, you know there are times when we are asked to do rain, or maybe let's say it's a scene where um, uh, the cowboy comes up to the door and he's got his hat on his drover jacket etc and he knocks on the door and you know uh there's the rain tracks as you say from the cut effects but the way the water's hitting his hat it has some meaning from a story standpoint and that's very specific it exactly its own, yeah to the other extreme let's say with the river we actually did everything so um and again it's really dependent upon what it is that we're asked to do so even before you go to the stage and you 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 Play the, you're, I presume you're sitting down with a, with a sound supervisor at some point and, and there's, a, there's a list that's being compiled of what they need for you to cover? What I, what I try to do if, uh, before every film is to sit down with the supervisor sound editor or uh, he, she, or them and, and kind of get an idea. What, what is this about? And if we can look at some stuff, great, and talk about it and um, just get a sense of wh where we fit in, what we need to do. And... And sometimes if we're not sure when we start, we'll do some tests, mm -hmm. you know, like a test A, test B, test C, D, and just send those off and have people listen to them and give us some feedback. Um, and that actually happens somewhat too on animated features because, you know, there's kind of amorphous, like what is, what is this footstep sound like of in this girl's brain and in, uh, inside uh, out, mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, we're all part of the team. And as much information as I can get, I think the better it is for everybody. So, so uh, steps first, and then props, props, and then movement. Now, this is from a feature standpoint. Um, the reason why you say movement for last is just typically, you know, from an editorial standpoint, uh, picture-wise. Hopefully, all the picture changes are done, and we can kind of do our thing there. And the reason for that is the the movement is the help help out with areas where there's ADR. Hmm. Television is a little bit of a different beast uh, from a time standpoint. So typically what one will do is one will uh, one partner will be on the Foley stage with movement, with a set of headphones, listening to the guide track. The other partner will be in the control room with a set of headphones, listening to the guide track, with the cue sheets. And they're detailing out, okay, what's really happening here? It's, it says uh, footsteps on wood, but actually it's, it's creaky wood. Or, you know, it just says footsteps dirt. Well, it's, it's actually all gravel. It's not to say that, mm. you know, trying to put anybody down. It's just, you know, typically television, from what little I've done, there's not a lot of time. So, and our job is detail-oriented. Right. So we have to try to maximize that, especially, as you say, with television. So 
we're kind of, if you will, uh, covering a lot of bases at the same time. You know, by covering the movement, first thing gives one both Foley people a chance to look at the what's coming up, and then also vet the cue sheets to make sure they're correct and or make adjustments as need be. Right. Um, but <clears throat> you said something that, that um, I wanted to follow up on, which was um, that particular part of the job becomes really important if there's a lot of ADR right. uh, in the film because ADR means replacing the dialogue, which means there's no production track, and so you've got to fill out everything. So movement basically comprises what, essentially? Uh, movement would just be kind of the general feeling of somebody moving around. That wouldn't be true, of course, if the killer is wearing a specific leather jacket. That would be an actual prop. Right. Because we want to make sure that, that there's a lot of uh, uh, the ability to utilize it uh, you know, more or less as, as possible so it's on its own track, if you will. Whereas the movement is just kind of this general catch-all to help fill the hole, if you will, or holes, if they present themselves. Is your approach to doing an animated film different than a live-action film? That's a good question. In a sense, no. Uh, I think if if I were to really press myself, press ourselves for an answer, maybe we try to do a little less is more, mm-hmm. if, if you will, in, in animation, because um, if too much is there, it tends to to clutter it up and not have it give it full range. Oh, that's interesting. So th- that's counterintuitive to what I would have expected. I, because I, I know. I, because you know your your first thought is that you know the only thing that's coming to you from Pixar or from DreamWorks or from the production company is the voice, the voices, and you've got to fill everything else out. Um, but that that's a that's a process that can run amok. It, it could, you yeah. know, and you know I'm, I'm just a big believer in uh, keep it simple, mm-hmm. you know, and that tends to be the best. Uh, and of course, that's when you play back, that'll tell you. You know, if that's the case. I mean, certainly, um, you know, when we play backwards, we're not going, "Oh, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread." You know, let's move on. It's like we're we're really looking at it with a with a jaundiced eye. Like, okay, well, is this right? okay? That's good. Or well, you know, maybe we should try this or add this, etc. Because we really want to be when it leaves our hands, if you will, want it to be as good as possible. Mm-hmm. So, do you? Um you know, it, 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 it obviously starts with your conversation and work with the sound supervisor on what, <clears throat> what they're going to need in any given sequence and, and film. But do you, um, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is when you work with Ren Kleiss, is that different than working with Richard King? Do, does each sound supervisor have their own kind of style of what they need you to do? You know, I guess it's like a, there's a commonality there, almost like a car. <laughs> car has, you know, a wheel, throttle, and brakes. But each one's just a little bit different, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, part of the, the enjoyment for me is just, you know, enjoying those differences, you know, the people, you know. But ultimately, to a person, man or woman, they want the best possible sound job they can get and, you know, uh, really inspire us to do that. And, of course, this new stage is going to allow that to happen. Yeah. I, I remember when we were working on Panic Room uh, and I went, I got a chance to go down and visit the set, which was this amazing... <laughs> Uh, you know, David Venture, you know, so, so they, they build the house and they build the facade of the house and they build the street and then they build the facade of the buildings on the, across the street. Mm-hmm. It was this amazing, uh, huge set. And I, I got to hang out down there with Ren Kleiss a little bit on, and he was really excited because he got to, to do some Foley in the space. Right. Um, and that was sort of a, uh, 
for want of a better term, an, an ear opening experience for me <laughs> about Did this I'm idea sure. of, and I think it's a great, it's a great, uh, tip for, you know, you know, younger people, independent filmmakers, you know, do wild Foley in, you know, in the location. Sure. Sure. I mean, as long as it's, it's consistent with what needs to happen, you know, if it's the castle and it's on plywood, well, of course. Right. Yeah. Um, by the way, do you know how much they spent on that set? On the panic room set? Mm-hmm. I shudder to think. I, I'm, I could be completely wrong, but I'm going to say something like 15 million. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, I was down there. Uh, with my partner at that time, with Ren, recording some uh, we call wild slash gorilla foley. Would you guys go in? So you guys would obviously would go in not when the first unit was shooting. So Correct. you would go on nights, weekends, or no, like just, I think they would be off shooting something else, and you yeah, would go to it was, a different. I think it was a Saturday actually. We just went down there for like three or four hours. Yeah, you know, just just did some uh, footsteps mostly. A couple props maybe, but it's mostly footsteps because that ambience there was incredibly unique. Right. And, uh, cause they'd actually built the whole, you know, it was amazing. And I remember, I remember working with, um, uh, with Ren on the game, uh, and, and the, the way he handled footsteps and props, uh, you know, in Michael Douglas's mansion, uh, that was a completely new experience for me because it, the, the way he were, the, the, the stuff was recorded and the way it was treated made it feel like it was inside a museum, like a mausoleum that, that gave you an understanding of the character's emotional state. I think there's your answer, by the way. And to, to the, what do all the editors, you know, supervisors, designers share? Just that. They all want to hit that mark. Right. You know, for, for the person they're working with or for. So, which I, it, that's, to me, is what it's all about. It's just really uh, wonderful. So yeah. you have this big, beautiful stage, but do you, do you get much of a chance to, to go out and, and do kind of guerrilla stuff on, lo, on location? Or is that, that's pretty rare? That's pretty rare. It can happen. Um, I'm not against it, certainly. You know, uh, if, 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 in fact, as I said, Interstellar, there was a moment where we went to uh, this aircraft boneyard, and we're inside a fuselage, you know, which, had, of course, there were no seats, no, no, no nothing, really, just a bare bones in- interior of the fuselage. But we're able to approximate what it was going to be like in this capsule, um, this mission capsule, with these this robot footsteps which were a little problematic and um now that was i believe is all pretty much a richard king's idea to do that too mm. well okay that leads to my next question which is what's hard what's what's a challenge for you know, in, in oh, foley that's an easy answer <laughs> the hardest thing is doing footsteps correctly is doing footsteps correctly yes and you young foley artists coming up you will tend to think as soon as you conquer sync that is being able to watch a character on screen and do your footsteps to where your footsteps are falling in synchronization with what's on the screen. You think you've made it? That's just the beginning. Mm-hmm. Because you want to make sure those feet have a life of their own. That's what, the key. So what does that mean? I don't know if I can quantify it. I can just say is when you do a cue and you've given it this sense of soul, it feels right. Now, mind you, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back or over-aggrandize this, but I'm just saying from a uh, professional standpoint, that's the, you know, golden chalice, if you will, that, you know. But you also, you have a performance background. Like you, I, I you do. Way back, way back when, you started, didn't, uh, my understanding is that you, you studied as an actor, is that right? I, I did. I was uh, dragged kicking and screaming into the... Uh, to the footlights. <laughs> it, but it, that makes total sense because there's, there's a great performance aspect of this art. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, 
and you're talking about getting into the soul of the characters and the way they walk, and that, and a lot of that is is understanding mental states and. Well, you know, it's funny too. There's a there's a uh, a group of younger Foley people coming up now. There's one gentleman, uh, Charles, who's in uh, Austin, Texas, and he came out and visited recently. And I, I said to him, "Well, have you seen the top 100 AFI films?" And he said, I "Hadn't seen them." Well, I said, "Okay, that's your homework." And that's I, your homework. And yeah. I'm, not, I'm not trying to lord it over. I'm just saying, as you mentioned, it's important to understand the the dramatic acting standpoint and. To that end, I'm saying now to anybody out there that's that wants to get into this or any aspect of the film business, you know, you need to know the craft, you know. Uh, and part of so, it is, is understanding the history of it. Absolutely, you know, Justin Kane knowing that Greg Tolan, you know, was you know, the depth of field and, and just all the incredible things that, that uh, Wells did in that picture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the films. Um, I think that's really key. I think it's really important to know that. I mean, if one knows Pro Tools and that's it, you're doing yourself a disservice. Mm-hmm. You're not giving yourself enough tools to make the difference between good to great. Hmm. So I, I presume because you had an acting background, you didn't, you didn't dream of being a Foley artist when you were, <laughs> no. little, when you were a little boy. So how, how did you end up uh, doing this gig? I, uh, somehow my higher power decided that this was something I was going to do. When I was in high school, I was asked to, well, I volunteered to run the lights. Great. So I walked in this uh, new acting coach's class, and I noticed my name was on the board. He said, you're cast in a play. I'm like, what? <laughs> I did that, had a great time, and um, went to New York University Film School and then the American Film Institute. Um, but And at, you, you went to an AFI to, become a, to be a, a filmmaker. Correct. Right. Correct. I, 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 it, it struck me that, well, I guess I should back up half a step. My, my freshman year, I went to the School of Performing Arts, in San Diego, it was, it's, this is a mouthful, ready? United States International University School of Performing Arts. <laughs> and by the way, we're the black sheep of this whole university because uh, if you were John Bircher, that's where you want to send your kid mm. to law school, et cetera. And we were all these, you know, thespians that were just like going crazy. They mounted, I can't, I don't know how many productions a year, which was fabulous. In fact, I got together some guys there and we made a, a film, which won the San Diego Film Festival in 72. Uh-huh. And that's what got me off the path of acting into directing. Then at AFI, I realized, uh, I woke up one day, probably at four in the morning, to get ready to go shoot uh, something I was directing. I thought, I don't love this enough. Right. So to, to all you kids out there, <laughs> whatever you're Pay doing. Pay attention to that little voice. <laughs> that's right. It, very much so, because yeah. you, whatever, this is not a job for me. It's a career, you know, and it's a great career, and I'm thrilled that I'm here, you know, with all these people. Point being, if it was a job, I, I, would, I would have retired, no question. But I'm just having too much fun still. And that's because I love this, what I'm doing. So I guess, you know, if you, any kid, person out there that's, that's studying or whatever, if you, if you wake up in the morning dreaming about it, you go to bed at night dreaming about it, give it a shot, mm-hmm. you know, give it a shot. Worst case, if it doesn't work out, who knows what will lead you. Because, and the reason I'm saying all of this is at AFI, as a director, I realized I didn't love it enough. A gal who was working with me on my film, who was a script supervisor, said, look, my husband and I need help doing sound on a film. Would you help? I said, sure, it's you know, quid pro quo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I did that. I was breaking down effects, and they said, well, come to the Foley stage. And I did that, and I thought, that's a stupid job. And uh, went home. So you guys had a Foley stage a- at AFI, or you guys no, went, this this was actually, went outside for that? Right, outside facility. 
and again, I didn't know anything other than just, okay, I'm helping these people who helped me. Her husband called me and said, I like what you did. I'm working the next day at Goldwyn Studios, which had a Foley stage. Would you help? I said, sure. As I was leaving my apartment in Venice, California, in my convertible, therefore the top was not on, I'm backing out. I almost run into the woman who was managing my apartment building. I go, oh, God, Johnny, okay? Hey, Johnny, how you doing? Where are you going? Well, I'm going to Foley stage. Really? That's what I do. What? Yeah, in fact, you know, they just fired somebody where I'm working. Maybe, maybe they'll hire you. No, I didn't know this woman from Adam. I think, she's nuts. I get home that night. A film I was going to AD on got pushed back about a month and a half. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, what the heck? Maybe I just needs help, you know, call up. I went and interviewed with Ted Gamillion at Gamillion Studios. And he said, go over there. Did I see that guy, Bob Duchesne? Work with him. If he, if he likes you, you're hired. Shane. Mm-hmm. This is on a Friday, and I've not stopped since. Wow. That's a good run. What was the first movie you, you uh, did Foley on? Maui. A guy goes to Maui, picks up some weed, smokes it, and runs all over the place. <laughs> that's, that's all I did was the entire day was run. And, and how did you do the inhales? <laughs> that's, a, that's a state secret. <laughs> because I presume that's going to be covered in Foley. You know, oh, very much so. So I, I, I have to ask you, um, because you know, when, when I was running Skywalker Sound, this this was something that that would come up occasionally with conversations with George Lucas, and and it would roll around every couple of years, and George would George would you know look over at me and he would say, "Haven't we been doing Foley long enough? Don't we have a big enough library? Why do we need to keep doing this?" So, I, I guess my question to you is. In a, in, a, in a nutshell, why perform sound effects as opposed to cut them? I think that's a good question. And in a sense, you'd think, well, yeah, why can't we just pull it from a library? And there it is. But it's missing the point. The heartbeat that we give it at the moment by performing to the picture at that moment cannot be replicated, duplicated, anycated from a library. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't have that soul. In my experience, that's not to say it might not happen one day, but that day has not arrived yet. I'll tell you. Yeah, um, I there was a film I worked on many years ago that the um, this gentleman was very pleased with uh, the uh, digital foley they had done. Uh, and in fact, we we're playing a reel, and I, I said, "What does digital foley mean?" Well, <laughs> okay, okay, we we played a reel back before we we're going to start doing it, and I, I said to the guy, I said, "You know." What, why was I hearing on some machine gun stuff off stage? What was that? He goes, oh, that wasn't machine gun. I, I said, really? What was it? He goes, well, that, that was the footsteps. I said, what footsteps? He goes, well, from the digital Foley machine. The digital Foley you know, machine. I looked at him and I said, we have nothing to worry about <laughs> from a job security standpoint. Uh-huh. In, in my estimation, it was, it was horrible. Yeah. But I, I'm sure there's a, you know, there's a place for it. And like I say, who knows from a technological standpoint? Maybe it is, but I just don't. It will not, cannot take the place of somebody breathing life into what he or she sees on the screen at that moment. Mm-hmm. I just don't see that happening. Well, the thing that I kept coming back to was um, I, I didn't think it saved any time. I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was faster to cut cut footsteps than walk them. I, I would agree with that. I mean, certainly a, a professional foley artist can really, you know, depending on what's happening, really kind of put the pedal to the metal. So. Um, so what is, um, I mean, obviously, 
this is a very creative field, a very creative endeavor. What are some of the, I, I hate to ask you this for, you know, tricks of the trade, but some of the things that immediately popped in mind, the most, the most kind of create, I think we've all seen the, the movie trailer with the, the celery crunch for the, you know, for the bone, right? That, that kind of thing. But can you, can you give us some, some little tidbits of, of so, interesting problems that you've solved on the Foley stage? Tricks of the trade, well, of course, I gave you the, the big one with rain. But I think moreover than that, um, just mic placement. Mm. Um, a lot of people, in my experience, at least uh, who do not have a lot of experience, I should say, tend to put the mic in one place and just leave it there. You know, um, have fun with it. You know, I mean, what you see on the screen, uh, picture-wise, that is the perspective you want the mic to be. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and it really, in essence, that would be the biggest. Uh, you know, gift, so to speak, I could give the audience because that, to me, really helps create an organic feeling, as I say. Um, to me, things that all are done organically just sound better. Right. Um, and then the other thing is really, you know, the, the best computer that one has is not Pro Tools. It's what's between your ears. <laughs> mm-hmm. And using that and your ears, mm-hmm. that is key. Don't get locked into this trick here with the, this, you know, taking this off here at 50 hertz. Or let your ears be the guide. You know, let your your innate sense of what's right, what's tasteful, what gives breathes life into what you're seeing. Let your mind and your ears take that and run with it. That really, I mean, that's might sound silly, but to me, that's key. But you're also, you're doing a lot of experimenting. You're moving the microphones around. You're mm-hmm. trying different surfaces. You're, you know, if you're doing water stuff, you're putting the microphones in the water, I presume. It, you know. Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. And sometimes they fall in by mistake. But no. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, how do you, so, you know, you talked about that the hardest thing to get right is the footsteps. But if you're Correct. doing something like a Transformers movie or an Iron Man, so you're, you're, you're having to do footsteps for some, you know, two-ton metal thing, or in the case of a Transformer, a 150-ton metal thing. <laughs> how, do you, what's, how, do you, how do you walk that? Well, I guess what you have to do is think outside the box. That is, you know, if you would just try to, like, if, 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 to answer that question specifically, if you try to take a big piece of metal and it's kind of banging on the cement, that's probably not going to work. Mm-hmm. So uh, layering is your friend, if you will. In other words, using multi-channels. So maybe one channel is the surface, if you will. The next channel is uh, more the weight feeling, and the channel after that is something else. So combined, it gets this, it gives you the sense mm-hmm. of this huge, you know, living robot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there again, really, it gets back to you know, it's it's your mind. That's the greatest tool you have. You know, I mean, uh, there are no mistakes in Foley, right? Because you can easily record over it. Sure. You know, so have fun. Has the um, has the art of Foley and has the aesthetic of Foley changed since you've been in the business? Pretty much as like everything else, there's a cycle. So when I started, there were not many people doing this job, and it was pretty much uh, monkey see, monkey do. Pick the keys up, put the keys down. See a sound, hear a sound. Right. Uh-huh. Then we got into the oh, Back to the Future, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, that era. And that was with Chuck Campbell, actually. And 
one he, of the one of the legendary sound supervisors. Uh, yeah. a, a fantastic human human being. Uh, certainly, as an editor, one of the top people that I've ever had the pleasure to work with. And there again, he'd say, "Johnny, have fun." Mm-hmm. So uh, when the plutonium gets sucked into the the um, DeLorean, you know, we did a thing with our little vocal thing. We did something with the air compressor. We did, I mean, you know, we just had fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the opening scene um, to that film has uh, has Marty, you know, coming to Doc's lair right. and uh, turning on the amp mm-hmm. and blowing the amp up. <laughs> And I, even when he flicks the switches, the switch flicks, we did those, and then dialing up the power. Uh, I, I can, you're saying it. I, I remember the sound. Yeah, yeah, t- uh-huh. Tim, Tim Sadler, who was a mixer with me at that time and a partner at this place, Tosh Soundworks, he, uh, he came from music. And he said, well, you know, we can take... Now, forgive me, folks out in the audience. I'm probably going to get this wrong. I'm going to say a, a sine wave generator or something like that. It might not have been that, but... Uh, no angry emails, please. Um, but basically, <laughs> we'll, what, we'll blame our aging memories. <laughs> thank you. But what Tim did was he set, basically set up with with me. He said, "Here, here's a control," and I was in the control. And he says, "So all you need to do is turn it, and it will go a step from up as you're turning it." So that's what I did. Mm-hmm. I just watched the screen, and it was great. Mm-hmm. And see, there again too, it wasn't just me. It was that he was Tim, the mixer, or you know uh, Ed Bannon, the chief tech there. You know he he actually blew a speaker up. <laughs> he really did. He blew it for the movie. Yeah, he did. You got to blow that speaker up, <laughs> right? So, so getting back to your question, then with the arc, then we've hit a period of time, '90s into the 2000s, where two things have happened. One, we no longer have let's call them A, B, and C films as far as budgets go. We only have now A. And, and then D. C minus to D plus. <laughs> right. uh-huh. And there's and nothing it. in between. There's nothing in between. That's right. Yeah. So to that end, the A, A films get pretty much the time they need. The other ones don't. So you have to get creative. Creative is, as in you have to triage it. You know, okay, what, what is it we need to do in Foley? And just to, just to put it in context, so a, a, a big movie, what's usually 20, 25 days? Correct. Okay. Maybe 30 days. Depends. Right. Interstellar, I think, was uh, actually that, maybe that was like 24, but um, Inception, I think, was 28, I think. And then a low budget movie, you're doing a reel a day, right? Could be. Uh, not so, me. So that, <laughs> right. So in that, in that, in that sense, they're, they're, they're doing, they're recording fully in five or six days. Correct. Yeah. Um, but there again, it can be done. You know, sure. In fact, let's not say I wouldn't or couldn't do that. It really gets down to what it, focus on what you need, triage. Well, time buys you detail. Correct. Or, or know that, okay, here's the scene where we're in the, um, the gunboats coming up to the, to the sand to jump out. We're not going to really do anything in the gunboat because the, you know, the explosions and the missiles overhead and all that, the wave action, we're not going to hear anything. Right. But when we get to the, you know, again, I'm just, Playing devil's advocate, we get to the beach. You know, with that, we need to hear that stuff. Or conversely, oh, I see. So you're you're anticipating. Oh, there's going to be a bunch of stuff here. So we probably don't. We don't. We don't need to do finely detailed work in this sequence. To to be clear, if there's a film that does not have much time, and I get a chance to sit with a supervising or sound editor, he, she, or them, I will ask the question. Not to say I won't do. I'll do whatever anybody wants. Of course. But I'll ask the question. Like, okay, do you want that there? You know, or maybe should we consider? 
concentrating something else. And I would say nine, nine times out of 100 anyway. That's probably what they're going to say. Mm-hmm. You know, let's not worry about that. You know, we're in the boat. Let's just deal with it when they come off the beach or whatever, you know. So yeah. that way there's a chance then for us to detail out what we can detail in the time frame that we have. So the budgets have gotten bigger and smaller. It's the craziest thing, I'll tell you. And then and what other, what other trends have you seen? Somewhat... Um, Sometimes Foley artists being asked to work by themselves, uh, never a good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because the workload is is great, but I'm not, and I'm not saying I'm not afraid to work. But I think this is very physical work. Yeah, indeed. But and, again, I, that's an aspect I love about it. Right. But how do you how do you take care of yourself? I mean, you triathlons. You, you, you do you do some yoga. You do some uh, really. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Although I haven't done one the last couple of years, so I don't want to sound like I'm. But uh, I'm going to get back. That's why I want to jump in the pool here. Yeah. So um, I guess that's one thing I've seen. Uh, and also, too, I've seen a lot more Foley starting to happen in video games. Mm. You know, because in a sense, you could say, well, gosh, they're making more money than features are. Than movies are, yeah. Sure, yeah. So, and I think there's a desire. Um, we, did a, we did a podcast episode with uh, some of the guys from Naughty Dogs. Uh, about oh, Phil? Their, yeah, Phil. Yeah, he's a great guy. Phil and Rob, uh-huh. and you know, uh, I think there's a, there's a desire to make that experience more cinematic, and so that makes sense that they would emulate some of the techniques that are, have been tried and true in cinema. Right. In fact, not not only are they trying to make it more cinematic, it is amazing. I worked on one recently. It's you could you could hardly tell the difference between what's real and what's, you know, from a computer's mind, if you will. Right. So, and that's exciting, you know, because uh, you know. Animated feature, let's say something along the lines of Pixar, uh, Walt Disney, etc., they have their own flavor versus a, a video game, you know, tends to be really gritty, mm-hmm. you know, and that's really a great challenge. Sure. So, so you've been doing this 30 plus years. What keeps it fresh for you? Each film is unique, you know, and I love that challenge. Has its own problems to solve. Indeed. Um, and of course, here on the stage, that's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the problem of like, okay, well... What shoes are going to sound good here versus where I was? Or, but that, again, that's all fun stuff, you know. Really, kind of experimenting and finding out what works. And I guess that keeps me young. That's great. I, that's all I have. Do you have any other? You have any any, any thoughts you want to leave us with? I, I do, actually. Uh, this is a standard spiel I would give to any visiting class of students. And I would say, um, I want you to take a moment and look at the person to your right. Look at the person to your left. They're not your competition. They're people, they're brothers or sisters in arms that you want to help lift up as you are. Because the better they do, the better you'll do. Because it's not doing it on your own. It's doing it with other people helping you and vice versa. And that is a key component to success in this business, the film business, which we love. And also, too, remembering those people that maybe are not in the food chain up as high. Mm -hmm. So... You know, if you're supervising sound editor on a big feature and somebody's going to get you a cup of coffee, remember their name and thank them. Mm-hmm. It'll go a long way karmically, trust me. Because you may end up working for them someday, too. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. Well, I can't think of a better way to end the conversation with that. Um, John, thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure checking out your new, your new Foley stage here at Skywalker cool. Sound. <laughs> um, and uh, we'll wrap it up. We're, this is uh, you know, the Dolby Institute and Soundworks coming to you once again from Skywalker Ranch, where we tend to spend a lot of time talking with sound professionals in this business. But uh, uh, it's been great. Thanks for being on the show with us, John. Thank you, too, Glenn. 